Welcome to the Elevate Orthodontics podcast with Dr. Lance Miller. Each week, we bring you interviews with the top minds in the orthodontic profession in order to heighten your expertise, boost your motivation, and raise your skills. Join us as we help doctors take their practices and their lives to the next level. And now, here's your host, Dr. Lance Miller. Welcome to the Elevate Orthodontics podcast. I'm Dr. Lance Miller, and it's my pleasure to welcome you to another episode of our show. Uh, It's always great to log in every week and to see you guys downloading these episodes uh, all over the country and really all over the world. And I want to thank you for that. And uh, if you found some value here in the podcast, maybe I can uh, make a request to share this podcast with your friends who are orthodontists or orthodontic residents. Send them a link to your favorite episode. You can go on and, and leave us a review in the Apple iTunes store. That'll help people find out a little bit more about the show and spread the message uh, that we're trying to get out here, which is really all about connecting orthodontists, sharing knowledge and increasing our mindset and our capabilities uh, so that we can all enjoy each day in this wonderful profession. I've been working a lot this week on my taxes, uh, trying to get all of the paperwork together to get over to my accountant. And it made me think that uh, if there's someone out there who you think might be a good tax expert, a guest for the show, Maybe shoot me a message on Facebook or send me an email. Uh, Let me know. I'd love to get someone on to talk a little bit more, maybe about some tax strategies and those sorts of things. Um, As you can tell, it's never a pleasant thing preparing these taxes and looking at the final numbers at the end of the year. All right, we're going to get right into our interview today. But first, we'll have a quick word from the sponsor of this episode. Hi, this is Chris Benson with Benson Copeland Associates. We're excited to, for the second year, sponsor Elevate Orthodontic Podcast. We were fortunate enough to be invited by Lance to do an early podcast when he was just getting started. Uh, We hope to do others down the road, but I think what he's providing the specialty is unparalleled. Benson Koppel is, is a proud sponsor. We do basically four things for orthodontists. We help you with any change of ownership, whether you're a new and younger doctor, we can represent your interest in a deal. We can help you find a job. If you are looking for a partner or wanting to sell your practice, we can value your practice and structure that transition. We also have a full-time recruiting team here that can help both buyers and sellers. And lastly, we have a newsletter that we publish four times a year. So whether you're on the front end of your career or the back end, we hope to provide you with great information about the business aspects of running a successful practice. Way to go, Lance. We're really excited about what you're doing. Thanks for inviting us to sponsor you and enjoy this podcast. Dr. Brandon Camella holds a Bachelor of Science and Master's of Science in Mechanical Engineering from the Rochester Institute of Technology. He obtained his DDS degree as well as his orthodontic training from the State University of New York at Buffalo. He began his career as a dental lab technician for the U.S. Air Force and later owned his own dental laboratory throughout engineering and dental school. In 2005, Dr. Camella opened his own private practice in Rochester, New York, Camella Orthodontics has grown to be one of the top orthodontic practices in the country. Dr. Camella is a nationally recognized speaker and expert in lingual appliances. He's taught lingual technique all over the world using 3M Incognito and AO Harmony systems. Dr. Camella is an extensive traveler and avid adventure seeker. He loves anything with a level of risk that will push him outside his comfort zone. 
Among other hobbies, he enjoys scuba diving and car racing. He's extremely down to earth and passionate about life and orthodontics. Dr. Camello, welcome to the Elevate Orthodontics podcast. No, thank you very much, Lance. It's such a pleasure to be here. We're excited to have you on the show. So after that introduction, I have to ask, any uh, big trips coming up here in 2019? Well, actually, uh, the, the next one coming up is going to be a really simple one, Puerto Vallarta. It's a very nice, easy get to, to place, and it's, uh, it, it's one of my tops to go to on a, on a short weekend. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, I'm sure that's a good to get out of the uh, the Rochester, New York winter. Uh, are you guys getting some uh, polar vortex this uh, week up there? I think tomorrow they're expecting some uh, wind chill of like minus 25 degrees. So it's going to be a brutal day. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Up here in the north. Well, that's that's kind of how it goes. But uh do you do any winter sports? I do. I love to ski. You know, that's one of the, the favorite things that you can do that's pretty close to around here, too. It's a, you're 45 minutes away. You're, you're at a ski slope, and it's a ton of fun. That's you know one of the benefits of upstate New York is the topography is fantastic. Yeah. It's a beautiful area, and it sounds like that's where you grew up. Uh, tell us a little bit about kind of how you, you know, decided to become an orthodontist and how you decided to open up in the area where you're from. Yeah. After high school, I really had no idea what I wanted to do to really go to college with 100% focus. So I said, you know what? I'm going to do the Air Force. I love flying airplanes. So I got my license when I was in the Air Force as a private pilot. But they trained me as a dental lab tech. So I had the opportunity to um, meet other dentists along the way and learn what it was working with dental materials. And I developed quite a passion for it. I, I, I like growing in that area and becoming better and better at creating crowns and, and working with porcelain and composite. And so, you know what, this is a pretty darn neat career. So, you know, during those Air Force years, in the evening, I did go to school and uh, studied mainly focused on mathematics. And, and, and at one point I thought maybe I'd do a PhD in mathematics or something because I really got, got into it and just clicked with me at that point. But when you got up to a certain point in math, it, it became a little abstract. It was, it was applied mathematics that I really loved most, so engineering. So I went to engineering school afterwards at Rochester Institute of Technology, which, which was a very influential place. And it just somehow, at that point, I was a little bit older. I was a little more interested in learning, and I learned how to learn. And once I got excited about learning, it just, it just opened up so many opportunities and I got influenced by uh, several orthodontists, you know, one local in Rochester and one when I was in the Air Force, who whispered in my ear, by the way, he says, you know, orthodontics is the best kept secret in all of medicine and dentistry. And I somehow remembered that. And, then, <laughs> and as I was going through dentistry, or, I'm sorry, uh, engineering school, um, I thought, hmm, I'm now finishing with my master's in mechanical engineering. What do I do next? Do I do a PhD in, say, biomedical engineering or do I go to dental school? So I applied to both, and I interviewed at you know Tulane University, Johns Hopkins, and Duke, and I also interviewed for dental school uh, at University of Buffalo. And the way I said, so, you know, it's going to be a sign. Whoever accepts me first is where I'm going to go. And I got the call from University of Buffalo, and I got accepted into dental school. And it was just a, a, an amazing experience all throughout. And what was kind of unique to my experience with dental school. Since I had the lab stuff behind me, I really didn't have to focus too much on that, that basement work where you're actually waxing up crowns and practicing for the practicals. Um, so I spent a lot more time, you know, studying and, and moving on. But I also worked on my PhD in mechanical engineering. And so I got a little bit of taste in both and did research in both. 
And it just kind of evolved into orthodontics was the ideal blend of, of uh, mechanical engineering and dentistry. And it fits my personality perfectly because I don't have the ability to focus on one thing for a long period of time. So it all kind of worked out. And, you know, when I was done with the, you know, I got accepted in uh, Buffalo as well. I got matched there. I was kind of hoping for someplace different, but it didn't work out that way. But that's the life, you know, you never can plan on it. But I really enjoyed it. I thought the program was great. It allowed a lot of freedom to grow and learn a lot outside the program as well. It let us visit a lot of other programs and, and other lectures around around the country. So it did it did foster some really great unique growth. And Rochester's my hometown. And since I own a dental lab here, I thought it would probably be an easy place to, to start a practice. And it certainly was. And I absolutely love being around my family. So I couldn't imagine practicing anywhere else. And you know, despite what you feel or what you think, Rochester's actually a great place to live. No, I, don't, I, I believe that. I think that's a, that's a beautiful area of the country. So Tell us a little bit about the decision to, to open up a practice, um, you know, versus, I guess, you know, it sounds like you wanted to be in your hometown. Was that just kind of the opportunity that was there? If you wanted, you, you had to kind of make it yourself? A great question, Lance. You know, I started in Buffalo. You know, there was a, an orthodontist in the program that, you know, has had a retiring doctor. And he asked if I would go in as an associate. And he did for a year. And I realized, you know, I have a very unique way of looking at things as we all do. We want to practice the way we want to practice, and we start to see some of the problems with the technique that they may be using. They weren't using, you know, measuring gauges to measure any brackets, and it just, you know, cases were going on for four years, and it just didn't align with my philosophy. So it just had a hard time staying in the practice. And I said, you know what? It's 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 an opportunity to go back home. I have a network of doctors and friends that I can probably tap into to make this work. And I'm going to start off really slow. I'm very conservative. I, I found an office space that was vacated by an orthodontist that retired due to medical reasons. So it was really easy to just kind of do a facelift, put new chairs in. It was literally 960 square feet, tiny space, eight chairs in the waiting room. And we had such a fun time in this space because it was our first, it was our first opportunity to build a practice. And it happened quickly. Within one year... You know, I'd started 99 patients that first year. And I said, you know, we're going to quickly outgrow this space. And sure enough, within, you know, that year, I knew that people were standing outside of the office, you know, couldn't sit in the waiting room. It was time to look for a new space. So there is such a thing as starting out too small. And I did. <laughs> sure, sure. That's always fun to kind of hear these stories and uh, kind of to reflect back on on some of those origin times. I think most of our listeners will probably recognize you or maybe they've heard you speak on the topic of lingual orthodontics, which I know you've been involved with heavily. What drew you to that? I mean, you know, we've heard a little bit about uh, mechanical engineering. Maybe that's that's part of it. But how did you decide to make that a, a focus of yours? And, and I guess I'm also a little bit curious what role that plays in your practice today. Okay, yeah, it's definitely still an evolution. Things have constantly changed from... From the moment that I jumped into it, even now, things are still changing. This is how it all played out. In 2007, I had a friend from the program at University of Buffalo who we got along with really great. He wanted to join the practice. And I said, you know what, James? I said, I know a perfect location. And if I was going to reopen again, because I already knew I opened too small, I'd open up here. And so I started building another location with the idea he was going to join. And then it opened up in February 2008. 
Well, what happened in 2008? Yeah, we all, we all remember those times. At least those of us have been through it. The economy kind of took a nice dip. And I could not bring him on. Like, there was just no cash flow to bring this guy on. And I said, I now have two offices, major overhead, and <laughs> the 3M rep and um, another person who was representing what we called, it was called iBraces at the time, stopped in the office and discussed with me this new technology that, or this new product that was put together by pulling these technologies like rapid prototyping robotic wire bending and thinking with the end in mind and creating an ideal outcome all those things kind of rang true and it's like you know here we are with the ability and all the processes in place to put together a perfect solution and i said yeah that is worth looking into so i said i'm going to try this and i, and I, I did an open house at, at my office when just shortly after we opened and I, and I had this eye braces mapped out all over the place. And I had interest from all these people to send their patients, people who typically wouldn't seek out treatment. That's who you're going for. I would never do braces. Or my case is too difficult for aligners. And aligners at the time weren't really that promising. So it really did open up a big market. I started 80 cases in 2008 of eye braces. Wow. In Rochester, New York, mind you. So... And that, that was the thing. It's like, who's this guy in Rochester, New York, starting this volume of patients? <laughs> the question was, how is he going to finish all these cases? Really should have been the, the, the more correct. <laughs> because halfway through it, I realized, oh, my gosh, I know nothing about lingual. <laughs> and I'm going to have to learn it out pretty quickly. But fortunately, I, I had friends and mentors like Adam Shuloff and, you know, even Dirk Beekman and, and, and many others, Cliff Alexander, that we, we kind of banded together as kind of pioneers in, in the field at that, at that young, the young age there uh, when it was introduced. And we got through it. And, and, and it did get better. It did get easier. It was, a, it was a tough learning experience. But I guess that's the only way to learn. Get to you know, be thrown into it and you know, work your way through it and come up with solutions, learn how to communicate the problems to the patients, learn how to come up with solutions that work for them. We did jump out of several cases to go to labial to finish up the details, but you word things correctly and you make it feel as if you're caring. It's fine. It all worked out good. So that was the start of in my practice. Right. And so today, you know, a decade later, perhaps with the rise of more aligner therapies or perhaps with the experience that you've had in terms of case selection, what are you doing on the lingual front these days? Yeah, great question. So, so I moved from 3M Incognito to Harmony. Harmony came on the, on the, the map in uh, 2000, I would say 12. And 2013, I kind of went 100% that direction because I had tested on a few cases and it, it really solved the major heartache that I had with the vertical slot um, with the other system. So I, I did switch directions. It was a self-ligating edgewise system and I really loved it. And everybody who was using it really liked it. But like anything, there was this resistance from people to change from one system to the other. So Harmony never really grew, and American Ortho, unfortunately, didn't have the resources to keep throwing money at a product that wasn't selling so well. So it, they decided, I think, to sell off the fabrication facilities. So Harmony's off the, off the table at this point. And I used to teach lingual in my office to orthodontists from all over the world. And I um, have a really good time with it, showing how you can actually see 20, 25 lingual patients in the middle of a, of a 70 to 90 patient a day and without seeing any issues. So a 20-minute appointment on lingual is a 20-minute appointment in labial, and you got the same amount of work done. 
So we, we did that and uh, we had fun with it. But now that the system is no longer, I'm struggling to find that replacement. So I am now actually turning towards more aligner therapy. Um, I'd still do teach lingual um, down at a program, the fellowship program at the University of Texas, San Antonio. Dr. Robbie Anthony has been a real pioneer and he came up to my, my course kind of middle of a couple of years that I did it. I didn't realize he was, he was thinking about creating a course, but he did and he invited me to come down there and teach. So I still go down there and teach basic lingual technique and it still has a place, but I'm trying to find the system that's going to work right, work best right now. So I don't want to comment on which systems I'm using, but stay tuned and I'll probably have some opinions sooner than later. But um, in the meantime, I've got a lot more comfortable with aligners. And with this whole digital push in office, I think there's a lot of excitement there. So, so things are constantly changing. Yeah. And I think that that is true. And, and as we see things change, you know, the people that have the more tools to address them seem to thrive in any market, whether it's a, a downturn in 2008, whether it's a, a rise of aligner therapy. You know, I think that as orthodontic specialists, and I know that the sentiment has kind of, you know, been echoed, you know, it, it's our job to be a master of moving teeth. And then, you know, the modality kind of is secondary, right, to, to the expertise that hopefully we possess. If we can stay nimble in that regard, you know, I think that'll help us stay relevant as we face these different changing times. Absolutely. You got to mix and match, make, make things work for the patients that, you know, they have an idea of how they want to manage these things. One thing I know that you've experimented with a little bit is kind of some online virtual consultations, an area where patients can maybe contact you through your website or that you can, you know, see patients that aren't in the office. You know, I think that's something that maybe some orthodontists have either dabbled with or, you know, at least had this idea of kind of float through their mind at one point or another, but it sounds like you've actually uh, tried it. Tell us a little bit about, you know, what you're doing with that. So um, we call it virtual orthodontics and um, it started out with just an idea. You know, it was an idea <laughs> from, you know, my treatment coordinator's husband is an engineer, software engineer, and he and I really hit it off well. And when I, when I kind of uh, at a um, St. Patty's Day party, uh, revealed the idea that I might want to do this virtual experience for patients where, you know, they can upload their photos, they can take pictures with their, with their phones nowadays. What if we had a portal they can upload them to and we could look at them, come up with a treatment plan and offer them some financing options, and then schedule this virtual interaction where they can do this from home or work. And um, let's just see how this works out. So he was really pumped about it. So we created a small company with a software engineer himself and me, and I was kind of a guy of how it would flow and work and how it would look. And we wrote this program. And eventually, you know, they got too busy with their work and I had to move to a, an actual software development team. Um, so it was, it's been developed for the past couple of years really, really nicely where I have a nice interface. And I currently use it between two offices actively. So I'll actually see patients in one of my offices when I'm in the other one. So non-doctor related visits, uh, maybe a standard wire change, or we're checking the progress of class two elastic wear. Um, we're, we're managing um, some oral hygiene issues. Uh, stuff like that can be seen remotely without me actually being physically there. And that's been really, really fun. Um, the patients seem to like it. It's techy and cool and they get to see me interact with me. And, and what's nice about it is the camera that we use has a better view inside the mouth than my own eyes do. <laughs> straight up the palate, I can see actually perpendicular straight into the you know, maxillary arch or mandibular arch and see where the rotations are and see what needs to be done. So it, it's actually, it, it has advantages. But back to the consultation component, 
we've only used it a couple times for consultations. I still think that people like to feel and come in and experience what it is like in an orthodontic office at this point. But at least the tool sets there in the program there where we can use it in a virtual consult if people want to. But um, there's other opportunities that we've kind of taken advantage of, like it's virtual screening on dental offices, upload a picture that they might snap with their internal cameras or their own smartphones and, you know, do a digital referral. So we've kind of beefed the program up to be kind of a virtual doctor network related uh, scenario. So it has a lot of good opportunity. And I just need a good leader, uh, someone young like yourself. To take <laughs> Not <it>. me. <laughs> yeah, you have your hands busy with a lot of other. But then even listen to this, it has a lot of energy that would like to take it to the next level. I'm open-minded. I'll show you all, all of it and how it works. I have a couple of orthodontists actually using it as well. Okay, great. And I, I, I really like the opportunity, like you say, for uh, interacting with other professionals because that's always such a challenge to do that, you know, effectively and where it doesn't eat up too much of your time or energy to do. So I think that's a really neat thing that you're involved with. One of the things that I was really excited about having you on the podcast to talk a little bit about is this concept of balancing our our work and our outside of work time. I, I think I've read some posts that you've put in some of the Facebook groups, you know, about this topic. And I think this is an area where I don't I don't think this is like the default setting to have balance as as orthodontist. You know, I think we're very type A, we're very driven. But what advice, I guess, would you have for someone who's perhaps at the beginning of their career, maybe they've gone their whole life with this just kind of drive to push forward. Give us, you know, perhaps younger orthodontists, uh, you know, a little preview as to kind of, you know, where where that road leads and, and how to navigate that a little bit more successfully. That's a great question. Um, you're, you're so right. We, you know, Lance, as orthodontists, we really are, we're working at the top of the game and we've been drivers and leaders and, and achievers all along. And don't think when you're done with orthodontic residency, that's going to stop. That personality traits in you. And you have the ability to achieve really great things. And you don't realize that you have doubts in yourself. It may be fears and anxieties. And those are holding you back. But guess what? You're still driving through it. You're, you're navigating. You're creating a world for yourself. And that world becomes possible and, and real. And when you do it and you're doing it well and you love what you do and people are talking about what you do and they're showing your, their friends what you do, you don't realize how quickly that can grow. And I found myself growing leaps and bounds in the beginning. And, and like everybody, you know, it's easy to grow a one-year practice 100%, right? It's not so easy to grow a 10-year practice 100%. So you're going to grow your practice really significant amounts in the beginning. And then I reached a point where I couldn't get past this production level for, for two, two consecutive years. And I said, you know what? I'm not going to just keep going the same, same cycle. I brought a consultant in, and Shara Ash was her name. She kind of tuned the systems and created a production calendar. And she came up with the notion that you have to schedule each day with a certain amount of production in it. And if you don't know what that number is, it's a very easy number to calculate. You know, just maybe go through your lead production and look at how many days you actually work and give you some idea of what average daily production you did and come up with a map for yourself. And maybe you map that out for a quarter. Maybe you do it in a quarterly fashion. Quarter ones are usually a great quarter. Quarter two drops down a little bit. Quarter three for us goes back up. Quarter four goes down a little bit. But you can use this information and really forecast what you want to produce and plan it and work it. 
So the idea of a production calendar and sticking to production goals is really paramount to freedom. And I didn't realize this until we kept growing and growing and growing. And you would see days like Martin Luther King Monday, you would do seven starts. And you would kill yourself doing seven starts, but you'd put 30,000 on the books and you're all excited. Everybody's excited. You've exceeded their daily goal. But you really should even it out and even it out so that each day is as productive as you've actually planned. Do your 12%, 20% growth, whatever your plan is for that, that annual calendar and build it in and meet those goals and do what needs to be done to get those goals met. But I guess this is the, the take-home message. You really are going to meet them if you're working them. And you're going to get to a point, at least this is what happened to me, where you've exceeded your ability to enjoy that. You go to work, you're anxious because you're working so much, you're juggling so much, the staff's having difficulty keeping up. There's just a lot of angst and you don't understand why. And it's really because it's just, morality is down, it just doesn't feel right. That's the point where you need to either bring in an associate to help you, you know, manage the increased production or smooth out your schedule, do production in a more flat way. But then once you realize what it takes for you to live the living that you want to survive on, slow it down. Enjoy yourself because time now becomes a commodity. Time off becomes a lot more valuable than the dollars you're going to earn. It doesn't seem that way when you're on the other side, when you have never had an income. It's like you just want as much as you can possibly get. But trust me, guys and gals who are just starting, once, once you map this out and come up with a plan, and I'd be more than happy to talk you through the plan. Once you map it out and achieve those goals, slowing down to enjoy your life is really the best, best advice I can get. Because I go to work typically, not every day, typically very happy, very rested, content. I'll work two, sometimes three days a week, and I'll have the associate work the others. And it's a really nice place to be. You get to really enjoy the fruit of your labor. And you'll start to realize that the things that you thought were going to make you happy, that the cars and the houses and the, the vacations really are not drivers like that you thought they would be. And so you can lighten up on the material stuff and really enjoy your family time and stuff like that. So I think just taking a deep breath and mapping out what's going to work for you and getting a, a consulting team in place so that you're managing expenses and taxes and all that stuff properly so that you aren't wasting time. What I love about what you're saying here is this is kind of like taking it easy for someone who's still kind of type A, right? Like you're scaling back, but you're doing it with a very defined program. You've got production goals, you've got schedules, you've got plans. This isn't just getting hands off or kind of letting things go. You're kind of doing this in a very intentional way, but in a way that manages the level of production that you want or that designing the life that you want. That, that, that almost takes as much work or as much maybe intentionality as just letting your practice grow out of control. You're, you're 100% right. It's managed chaos. It's managed vibrating at a certain rate and it's staying at that rate. We definitely don't want to decline. You don't want to give up opportunities, but you want to manage those opportunities so that you can enjoy it. Yeah, I think for, for me where I'm at, I'm probably... In our practice recently, you know, we've we've definitely scaled back our days worked. We've we've tried to continue to grow our production. I think we've we've gained a lot of it through efficiencies, but I think we are starting to reach a limit where, you know, I'm starting to ask myself questions about, you know, what exactly I want the next ten years of my practice to look like. You know, because the first ten years were certainly pretty pedal to the metal. So 
I think that's great. You mentioned, you know, bringing in outside help and, and, and having someone else take a look at your practice. You know, it sounds like you've used a couple of different consultants. What, what, you know, what are the things that you feel like are really valuable to have someone come and, and give advice on? To me, it, primarily what was driving that was tax planning. Um, we had overgrown by way more than what we estimated. So we found ourselves really underpaying taxes. And one of the worst things you can do is find yourself in that situation where you really don't have the cash flow to pay the $160,000 lack or deficiency. <laughs> That's funding. Like, where's this? When I got that bill, $160,000, I'm like, where's this money coming from? I don't have that sitting in a bank anywhere. That's just the cost of operations, the cost of growing and marketing and all that stuff. So you don't want to find yourself in this situation. That was a scary place to be. But with good consultants, financial consultants, they can really map that stuff out so that you're funding your retirement and you're funding the practice and the 401ks. And you, you know that you're operating your staff salaries in that 18 to 22% range and your, your clinical supplies are in the 6 to 9% range and your lab fees are this and that. So you really, every single month, um, I have a phone call with this group and we review all those expenses relative to the profit and loss sheet and income. And we, we, we tweak things. We, we, we talk about manpower increase or decrease when it's time to hire somebody new. So you're really managing by the numbers. Once you get to the point where you're very comfortable just running these reports and put in an Excel spreadsheet, it trickles down to your retirement date, pretty obviously. And so it's like, you know, if you start eight more patients a month, you can retire three years earlier. Like, like this is how it actually works. So, and you say, well, how am I going to get eight more patients a month? Well, we're going to do some marketing. We're going to start taking offices out and do what you got to do. So managing by the numbers for certain. But, but like I said, bring on help, bring in an associate when you get to the point where you can't manage it all, all on your own. And I think that, you know, what I'm hearing is that you've done a good job of really asking yourself what the point of all of this is, or, you know, defining that, that why for your practice and for your life, you know, instead of just kind of blindly charging ahead trying to do this with some thought and some foresight in terms of, you know, what it is that you really want out of it. Because I think, you know, most of the time, obviously, you know, in orthodontic circles, success is defined by how many starts per year or what production per year. It's a top line number. And I think that we can have as a goal, what are, what are we getting from the practice? Um, I've had a couple of people on the podcast talking about this, but what is it that we want to get from it? And maybe that's not the same as someone else. And maybe that means that, you know, we're not having the bragging rights that, that, that the orthodontic comedians that, but, but if it's what we want and we're, we're getting from the practice rather than just serving this goal that someone has put upon us, that's something that everyone kind of has to define. I'm, something I've tried to do for the podcast is let people feel empowered to really make these decisions for themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody's going to be different with that one. And uh, to me, experiencing uh, things, cultures, people, being around people um, and learning, learning outside of uh, everything we've been taught here in, in America and seeing the world in a very natural place. I think that's it for me, honestly. One more thing on this topic, and then and I know I've got a couple of uh, marketing questions for you because you've got some, some good ideas for us. I, I know you've given a course talking a little bit about the, the operations of a practice and systematically looking at you know what's going on in your practice. And that if we kind of have a, a little bit of a game plan and a little bit of uh, you know, a system for how that works, uh, we can kind of be revisiting some of these topics over and over that kind of constantly need to be addressed. What are, what are some operational tips that you can give people uh, in their practices? 
Well, it's, it's easy to go to uh, meetings and get excited about, you know, what the companies are showing us and uh, maybe a, some new branding opportunity or website or some social uh, uh, SEO optimization um, or some communication system that you might want to implement in your office. But you really can't tackle all that at the same time. So the way I look at it is, you know, we have many years of this practice and you got to slowly get around the track, get around the racetrack and tackle one turn or set of turns at a time until you have tackled each of these over a certain number of years. For instance, you know, this year I'm going to be tackling my website. It's, it's, it's on the time to, to redo it. And, you know, last year I implemented uh, 3D printing and, and implementing some of that stuff. And so we'll continue with the 3D printing mode. And then next time might be, it's time to spruce up the, uh, the decor in the office. We might need new carpeting or a new logo. So creating the feeling and the environment, office systems, technology. So these are all different things that you could tackle, but you have to tackle it in a really kind of systematic way, like you said. Um, and, and every year you can't tackle them all. So focus on one turn at a time, focus on a certain simple set of things and be good at that. Like tackle that turn and master it. And you'll, you'll find yourself just continually improving. Continual improvement is kind of the model of our practice. Let's always keep getting better. I do the same thing. Uh, I have, there's, there's a document on my laptop called Systems Review. And it's, it's like my main document for running the practice. And I pull it up every week or every other week to look at. And basically what it, it's exactly what you say, kind of all of the things that need to be going on in our practice and, and making sure that I'm having a plan, like you say, to address them, not also right now, but you know, like in mine, it's marketing, sales, operational, financial, human resources, and logistics, which include facilities and supplies and equipment. And I do the exact same thing. I kind of keep coming around and I go down the list and I go down the list. And instead of, like you say, being driven by what gets your attention at a meeting or something exciting that your friend said, those are great things too. And they might incorporate into your plan, but I don't want to forget something that's important. I don't want to overlook a, you know, a critical step. And I also kind of know myself that I'm going to want to do the stuff that I find easy or exciting and there's stuff that like I never want to do. So I have to kind of force myself to revisit it. Uh, so I like this concept of, of kind of going back around and, and going, you know, turn by turn or step by step uh, through a thing where, where you're really setting the agenda for your practice and, and kind of driving uh, the operations forward. Yeah, exactly. It makes it fun because you're really focused. You're focused on what you're doing. It's not just so random. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about some of the uh, things you've got going on in your practice, you know, in terms of marketing. You uh, you mentioned you've got great relationships with dentists and dental offices in, in the community. Uh, and, and I know you're, you're from the area, so uh, that probably uh, adds your to your kind of knowledge of, of, of what's going on. But what are the things that, that you guys are finding success with in terms of, uh, you know, getting the word out about your practice? Those are some of the things that when you're, you're, you're on the beach uh, in some beautiful place where you let your mind kind of freely you know, wander. You say, you know what would be a great opportunity? How about a bike club? I just bought a new bike. Why don't I create a bike club for kids and parents? We'll, we'll make some T-shirts and we'll give out some water bottles and we'll brand it and have this really fun experience around bikes. And in, in Rochester, there's the you know, Erie Canal and the river. And, some really beautiful, safe places for kids to ride bikes with ice cream shops and stuff like that. So it did lead, lend itself well to, to creating this club where, it, you know, we'll probably get 50 to 60 riders at a time and we'll do three for the summer. 
So you can do some really creative things, stuff that you like to do. You know, maybe a hiking thing where you, you could do some sort of discussing, you know, about some of the nature that you're seeing, but really engaging the families and getting the kids excited and an opportunity to do some social media on the topic and take pictures of them on their bikes and put them up on social media and, and then buy everybody ice cream when they get to the ice cream shop. And even if they're not patients and they're at the ice cream shop, you buy everybody, you know, ice cream while they're there. So you have stuff like that. Um, other things that we love to do is for our offices that we're trying to grow or establish more relationships with, or even the offices that we have great relationships with is do events with them, take them out bowling, do a breakout night. You know, some of these breakout rooms where you're kind of locked in a room for an hour and you have an hour to solve this really cool mystery. Those are really fun events. It's great for team building for everybody to get to know the staff um, and then take them out for dinner afterwards. So that's worked out really nice. We do it's something unique called Wired at Night. I was, <laughs> you might laugh at this dance, Lance, but I don't know if you like to dance. You like to dance? I'm not the best dancer, I have to admit. Uh, I'm kind of mediocre. I'm, I'm right there with you. But anyway, I was dancing at a club in New York City. This is going back probably four or five years. Um, and there were these disco balls and loud music. And it was really fun. And everybody's having a good time. Didn't matter whether you dance good or not. So I said, you know what would be fun is we can create this environment in the office. So we did. We created a, let's do a wired at night. And um, it's, it's, it's literally like a discotheque. We, we bought some lasers. We got some disco balls. We got the, the uh, hue lights, which change colors. And it's a really, really fun experience for the kids to come in. Sometimes we do a theme night, but there's always usually pizza or some goodies uh, for the families that come and bring your family members. You'll see dancing. We'll usually turn the music way up. There'll be kids dancing in the office to different songs. So that is really, really fun, and everybody loves it. So what we'll do is just 30 really basic appointments, regular appointments only, no bondings. We'll do consults for sure because we want consults to see this energy. So consults we'll do, um, but the rest are just regular, maybe some a couple retainer checks, and it's later in the hour. So it's 5.30 to 7.30. Um, 30 appointments in those couple of hours and it's just a big hit so <laughs> stuff like that's just a lot of fun yeah i think that's one of the most fun things about being an orthodontist is being able to kind of take these ideas and have them kind of come to fruition to have maybe the the resources to do it but also just kind of the audacity and then to see that turn around and actually benefit your practice um is kind of the cherry on top exactly it's fun Brandon, this has been fantastic, and our time is, is just flying here. So I think we're going to go into our lightning round. I'm going to give you eight quick questions, and uh, we'll get some answers from you here, and then we'll wrap things up. How's that sound? Sounds great. All right. What is your go-to treatment for full-step class twos? Well, yeah, I don't know if you know my personality, but I like to keep things simple. You know, that to me, light elastics in the beginning, and then, you know, regular elastics when you're getting into it. But if they're not compliant, we jump into something like a, a bite corrector, power scope or forces. Um, I've had really good luck with carrier the past couple of years as well. But I, I've now noticed what ages and what uh, the um, male or female I'm going to use them in. <laughs> so I find that, that, that say males in their 13 to 15 year range aren't going to wear the elastics, sure. <laughs> as well, but, but girls will. So I figured out when to use the carrier appliance, but I've had really great success with that as well. Great. What's your standard retention protocol? Removable Essex, upper and lower. Uh, we do the scan, uh, the visit prior to the debond, and we'll offer the option of a fixed lower retainer as long as oral hygiene's good. They've gotten the hygiene visit out of the way. So we can also put that in if, if they desire. Um, but I'll typically do six weeks full-time uh, Essex wear after, and then we'll bedtime only up to the six-month mark. 
And then at six months, they can start to alternate nights. They, we can skip a night. That's essentially. Um, and I describe how that should feel. And then I follow them for a year. Okay, great. Who are your role models or mentors? Oh, this is a tough one. So many people are mentors to me. And they're, they're typically everyday average people. And a, a lot of people... Um, like musicians are the people I look up to people who, who actually perform in such a high level that it, it's almost hard to comprehend that they've gotten there. But as far as role models, um, there's the prosthodontist that I can't ever forget. Dr. Pat Naylor, who's a prosthodontist in the air, in the air force really pushed me outside my comfort zone. He's, he's the one that said, no, go back and remake that crown. And he would, he'd squeeze the crown on his fingers and be in wax and be all over the floor. And he'd be really upset. I'm like, wait a second, that was, thing was beautiful. And, and he would come back and say, nope, you can do better. And then he, he realized how upset I was getting. He said, you know, everybody's always told you how good you are. And that's going to be your problem. He goes, you need to be told you can get better. You can do better. You can be better. So he, he's the one that said, you know, don't ever settle for, for where you think is good. So I would say Dr. Pat Nail has been number one. Um, I love that. What's your favorite orthodontic product or instrument? Something uh, in your office that you wouldn't want to practice without? Well, now it's the scanner. The scanner and the 3D printer, they are, they're the next generation. It's, it's where things are going, and we're having a lot of, a lot of fun using it, and we're growing with, with the printing capabilities and what we can do with it. So, yeah, hands down. Awesome. What's the best vacation you've ever taken? This maybe is a good question for you. Yeah, I love my vacations, but the, the best vacation has to be a seven-day chartered catamaran cruise around the British Virgin Islands. So you hire a captain and a, a first mate who's also a chef. Yeah, you bring you know, essentially three couples that, that'll go on this, so six people. And you just tour around the islands and you have a great time and you dance and you eat some great music and you, you know, swim and scuba dive. That trip, hands down, for the money, was the best and most memorable. Awesome. What's a, one great book that you've read recently? By Dr. Joe Dispenza. It's a book called Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. Have you ever heard of that? <laughs> I haven't, but I like the title. Absolutely fantastic. It's, it's one of these books that it's enlightening, it's empowering, it helps you break out of your own mind. You know, we're so programmed. 95% of our effort to today is autonomous. We don't even have to think about it. It just happens. So we're only 5% conscious. And so this book really helps you. How do you get more conscious about what we're doing? And how can you reprogram some of those, those programs that are built in so that you can better enjoy your life? So yeah, I definitely recommend that. I keep listening to it over and over in the car because it's, it's, it's easy to listen to. Awesome. I'll have to check that one out. What bracket system are you currently using for your fixed appliance cases? Currently, you know, I, you know I've used them all. And um, it's like I said, it's an evolution. Every now and again, you might go through your treatment modalities and try and change things up. And I've done the self-ligating route, and now I'm back to twin brackets. And I'm using typically uh, American Orthodox Radiance and uh, Mini Master for labial cases, for sure. Awesome. And what's one area of orthodontics that you'd like to learn more about in 2019? I'm still going to continue to learn on the digital workflow. That's, yeah. that's the area that needs, that needs improvement. A lot of it, not only in our office, but entirely in, in the whole industry. It, and it's just improving so rapidly. I think uh, my eyes will be focused on this for the next couple of years. Brandon, thank you so much for your time. This has been fantastic. Um, if people want to get a hold of you, I, I know you've got an upcoming course. If people want to, uh, to see you speak, maybe tell us a little bit more about that and, and maybe some good contact information for you. Uh, if you want to get a hold of me, a simplest email, Dr. Camella, D-R-Camella, C-O-M-E-L-L-A at gmail.com. You can always call the office as well. 
Uh, the course is going to be in Vegas at the racetrack there. So if you want to get into a nice Ferrari or Lamborghini, I'll teach you how to drive it. And um, they'll have some instructors there as well. But we're going to have a day and a half on the track and only a half a day of me, you know, bantering. So it's going to be a two-day course, uh, only three hours or four hours of me talking, but the rest can be driving. And that's sponsored by American Orthodontics. You can find that on their website. And that's March 20, I think 22nd, 23rd, 24th, somewhere in that area. Awesome. That sounds like a blast. That sounds really cool. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, well, again, thank you so much. This is this has been fantastic, and uh, I really appreciate it, and uh, look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks for doing this, Lance. You know, you're a pioneer in this industry, and I appreciate all you're doing. Thank you for listening to the Elevate Orthodontics podcast. For more episodes, subscribe on iTunes or visit our website at elevateorthopodcast.com. Tune in next week for another great episode. 